This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to the interview on the Raptors Republic Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Damelin. Today's guest is the pride of Louisville, Kentucky, Raptors second round pick. He's with the Raptors 905 in Long Island, ready for a back-to-back. His name is David Johnson. David, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, I appreciate you doing this. And the first question I always like to ask the newcomers to Toronto, the young guys, is what's your first vivid basketball memory? First vivid, I'd say like a church league basketball game when I was like five years old. That's like the only thing I can remember. Running up and down, just getting cardio in, not even trying to score the ball, just having fun running up and down the court. Yeah, before the game gets serious, I guess. Do you, do you remember like the yeah. first time you were like the dominant guy? Uh, I'd say I started to grow a little bit around the fourth or fifth grade, and then I started to like actually take it seriously. Okay, so growing up in Louisville, basketball crazed state, obviously. You're a Louisville Cardinals fan, and I want to get to your time at Louisville. But first, I want to go over your high school days at Trinity. And I spoke with your head coach, Mike Zabo, and the first thing he mentioned about you is that there is no ego when you come into any gym. Someone else plays well, you're happy for them. You throw down, you throw down a big dunk, there's no huge reaction from you. And that's what I noticed in your Louisville highlights. Where did that sort of understated swagger, that understated attitude, where in your upbringing might that have come from? I don't really know. I've, I've always been around like my older cousins and uh, their friends. They're, I never really had like family members my age that I could compete with. So when I would compete with them, I couldn't really show that pride and fireness when I'm competing because they'd tell me like, you haven't really done anything. And I've kind of remembered that in the back of my head, like you can't really, I'm not good enough or haven't done enough in my life to, for me to have that type of ego or to even act like I'm better than someone else or not like I'm, I'm not too good to cheer for someone else if they're doing good. Well, that's one anecdote that uh, your coach had in terms of cheering for somebody else. If you could go back in time, just a couple of years, actually, to 2019, your coach was so excited to tell me this story. It was the if I want to get it right, it's the seventh region title game, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what happened in that game specifically that allowed you to advance to the state finals? Yeah, uh, one of my close brothers slash teammates, friends uh, that I grew up with, he ended up having an outstanding game, Colton Rice. Um, they were double teaming me, and I wasn't going to sit there and try to force the game and take shots that I knew weren't going to help us win. and. He stepped up and some other guys stepped up too. And I was happy to happy for the win. That's all I wanted. And he said after the game, you weren't the person that was interviewed. It was this Colton Rice, your friend that was interviewed. And you were in that video trying to like, just you were just cheering him on. And that's kind of yeah. the, the attitude that, that you had with, with, with all your teammates. And what Coach Zabo said is that's from your family. That's from your mom. He said that your mom allowed him to coach. In fact, he said, Coach, get on him. 
uh, at times. Like he, he, yeah. she said that she got out of the way, she said, coach, get on him. Uh, what do you think she was referring to maybe when she said, coach, get on him? Was there a time that he needed that he needed to get on you? Uh, there was, I mean, there's times where like we'd be in practice and it's like, I'm the, I'm up under the coach. Like I'm the guy that's going to relay what coach is saying in a player's manner to the players. And if there was ever a time where things were getting too chill and like, I was just felt like I was out there coaching and a little bit on a pedestal rather than everyone else. He'd break me back down and put me back in my place where I'm supposed to be just like my mom does all the time. And that, yeah, that attitude is something he appreciated so much. And he mentioned that it wasn't just on the basketball court that that manifested itself. He said that in PE class, he was your phys ed teacher in, in, in uh, for your freshman mm-hmm. year anyway, and that you had a, an attitude of just sort of wanting to be friendly with, with all kinds of different people from across the, uh, the high school, not just the athletes or just the most popular kids. Yeah. There was, there was an attitude of wanting to be friendly with, with anybody. What gives you the most pleasure out of, out of, out of that? Cause most elite athletes, I imagine run in their own circles and their own elite athlete type of circles. Wh- why do you sort of choose to be on, on perhaps a, a less common mode of socialization, if you will? Uh, I call it breaking the chain. Like there's like this stereotype of like athletes of jocks, like you see it in the movies they're just like complete, like, uh, like bad people towards everyone. That's what everyone thinks they are. But I just wanted to give them like people that aren't around us that much, that there's a perspective that we're good people. And I think by me doing that, a lot of people around me would branch out. And then I feel like my entire, uh, graduating class at that school was like, everyone was so friendly and we still, a lot of people still keep in contact, athlete, non-athlete. And you never know who that one person that you're talking to outside of your normal circle, what they're going to turn into or who they'll be one day. And you, you bring that attitude over to Louisville. And there's this really funny story that you told. I think it was in your exit press conference. It was as you declared for the draft, I believe. And you mentioned that I'm not sure if it was a coach of yours or a trainer. You, you had a shoulder injury that you suffered before the start of your freshman year. And he asked mm-hmm. you, so when are you going to be ready? And you said, I'll be ready after my sophomore year. And you <laughs> thought he meant that when we would be ready for the NBA. That's how much confidence you had. But he yeah. was actually asking, when's your shoulder going to be ready? Um, so you always obviously had your sights on the NBA. But do you remember a point, maybe it was in college or maybe, I guess it was in high school, given that amount of confidence you had. Do you remember a point where you're like, I am dead set on the NBA and I'm going to make it? I think once I got to college and I was doing a, uh... A lot of the preseason stuff, uh, we were doing a lot of competition playing. And we had Jordan Nora, who was like a highly touted like NBA prospect on our squad. And just watching him and how he played, I'm like, all right, so he's set the standard here. And if he's he's entering his third year, he probably could have left the sophomore year. I think I can work to get to that point or better. And I kind of try to set a bar for myself every level that I go up at and working on the bar that I'm trying to set and reach myself for myself right now but i usually try to set set a goal for myself so i can have like an entry level and then i can build upon that so you build upon that you have two really successful years at louisville get drafted in the second round can you describe just that immediate feeling when you found out you were getting picked to to make it to the nba uh it was tears uh tears of joy um i couldn't express like it's a once in a lifetime thing like you never 
a lot of people don't really have that opportunity. And I felt like I was living, uh, living out someone else's dream uh, from all the people that want to make it to the NBA from the city of Louisville, all the people that were at my draft party that were working and doing the sprints with me in high school or uh, just helping me out anytime, family, friends, just they all helped me because they all saw something in, in myself that I didn't see at first. And I feel like I was doing it for something bigger than myself. And you mentioned the you've and you've mentioned that in the past, seeing something in you that you didn't see yourself. Is that humility? I imagine that's a pot that could be a positive and a sort of hindrance. Coach Zabel made a little allusion to that as well, saying, could he have a little bit more confidence, a little more, more swagger, maybe, but he's got everything you want in a kid. He's so coachable. Does that humility, does it ever sort of act as a hindrance to you in terms of your growth towards where you want to be? Or is it, or is it only an asset? Uh, I don't see it as like a hindrance. Um, I mean, I've gotten like the, is he, is he really a competitor? Like, how is he? Just because I don't show that emotion all the time. Uh, I think it's something that maybe I need to show a little bit just to prove to now I'm at the level where I have to prove myself all the time. So maybe that's something that could come out a little bit more, even if I'm n- not really being for real, I'm just doing it just because, but uh, that's one of those things that I just feel like it's, it can be there if I want it to be, or it, it won't be there. But I think it's, it's something that I'm going to have to add into my arsenal. Yeah, and maybe maybe it will be, but maybe it won't. I mean, just just this is a purely personal view. Like the Tim Duncan understated reactions to everything is something that I always gravitated towards. I don't know if you're a tennis fan, but like Pete Sampras in the '90s was like the most understated dude, and he was the winningest player in that era. Never the big fist pump, never the big thumping of the chest or whatever. So there is a charisma to that. So I hope you don't um, force. I hope you don't force anything as you as you go along. But you get drafted by the team, a second round pick. You're you're in training camp. You get the two way contract, and I imagine you remember your first bucket against Philadelphia. And I think it's the most quintessential David Johnson bucket. It's a post up of a smaller guard backing someone down. Grant Riller is his name. Do you remember like catching the ball and getting ready to back down the smaller guard and sort of take us through that possession? I didn't know what I was going to do when I got the ball, but it was like, I kind of, I was starting to get a little bit more comfortable out there on the floor. And once I started to dribble and I saw the space open up, I'm like, all right, I can, I can go back into my post game. And I started to feel like the old days again. And then I was just taking what he gave me. Have you ever gotten the, this is a uh, easy one. Have you ever gotten the Donovan Mitchell comparison? I know you both went to Louisville, but like this like compact, small guy. I know Donovan isn't quite the back to the basket post-up game that you might have, but have you ever gotten that comparison before? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, does, it seem, yeah, does, it, does it seem improper or no? Uh, I think he's, I might be a little bit bigger than Donovan and he's obviously a lot more explosive, but uh, he's a, he was a person that I looked up to uh, when I was in high school. And I was around Louisville's campus. Uh, I would see Donovan uh, numerous amount of times, uh, whether it's football games or just being in the gym with those guys. And I would, he was kind of a person that like role modeled me through when I didn't really know what I was going to do with my basketball career. And I kind of saw what he was doing and how he was making his path. I started to take after the things that he was doing for a little bit. And then I kind of paved the way for myself. And he felt he was underestimated. I think he was picked 13th in the draft. 
And clearly, mm-hmm. like if you had to redraft that, he'd go way higher. And that gave yeah. him that kind of chip on your chip on his shoulder that every single player I talk to has. Is there a chip on your shoulder from some instance in high school, college that you've that you've carried with you that's gonna continue to give you that motivation? I'd say to once I got to college, it was like people said I wouldn't make it past that. And when I when I was in high school, everyone's like, I don't know how this kid's gonna fit in at Louisville. Uh don't really know. He's just a basketball player. He doesn't really know what have a position or know what he's going to do with the team. And I kind of showed that. So I want to continue to prove those same people or same blogs, whoever said it. I try not to pay attention to it, but here I am. Yeah, you try not to pay attention to it, by the way. But I can't imagine as a, as a kid with social media, it's impossible not to pay attention to it. Um, and I'm glad we're, we're like past the stage where athletes say, I don't read the tweets. I don't read the papers or whatever. Like everyone admits they do read it. So it's just something yeah. I guess you have to, you have to deal with. So you get the second round pick, you have a nice first basket against Philly. And then you have the sort of fourth quarter takeover against Boston, make a couple of, of key buckets um, in the, in the fourth quarter. Do you remember maybe that was in my mind, maybe that was a phase where you thought, okay, I really can fit in at the NBA level. Is that a fair interpretation? Or how did you interpret that that fourth quarter moment you had against Boston? Uh, going to the game, it was like, I don't know what the score was, but it was a pretty close game. And thinking like, all right, so we're still trying to win the game, even though their subs are in, our subs are in. We're still trying to figure out like who the rotation and whatnot. And I just wanted to go in and contribute to the win. And whether that's me getting stops, playing defense, uh, rebounding the ball, setting screens, whatever. And I was just taking what they were giving me. Uh, I think I had a three, and I don't remember what else after that. I think it was a couple jumpers and a three, the game-tying shot. And we do have to mention it because I think it's a great lesson, um, and I hope that it's taken as a positive. The game's tied late, and I imagine perhaps you didn't know the score. Um, and you committed a foul. Was it an intentional foul or was it just a foul? It was a foul in the backcourt that you committed that put them on the free yeah. throw line. So it's a preseason game. So there's no stakes involved. Can you tell me how you, how the team handled it, how you handle it? And perhaps if you turn it into, I hope you could turn it into a positive because maybe you could just laugh at yourself at the end of the day, but what sort of the learning experiences you could take from a, from an instance like that? I was all, you have to always like when you think you're locked into the game, try to go a step farther and try to know everything like clock situation, fouls, timeouts, uh, how many fouls to give, um, how the refs are calling the game. You got to be locked in, paying attention to the game the entire time to see if they'll call something. I don't think it was that much of a foul, but Mm. they were kind of pity patty with those type of calls. So just like really be locked in. Even when you think you are, you can go a step further. And is there anyone in camp, maybe Fred, uh, maybe Pascal, even though he was hurt. Uh, is there anybody that sort of took you under their wing at all and gave you the best possible advice as, as sort of the vets on the team? I think it's a, as a collective group, uh, kind of everyone. Um, everyone's pretty like willing to share their knowledge and pass it down. And uh, during home games, I share, I'm a locker neighbor with uh, Gary Trent Jr. And he, uh, he's, me and him talk a lot. Uh, he's given me a lot of knowledge, what to do, what not to do. Um, and he's been in the league for, this is his fourth year and things I've been told by like 
former NBA vets and former professionals is like you want to be close with a guy who's been in the league for multiple years working on his second to third contract. You don't want to be tied in with the rookies because they don't they know as much as you do. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's, his dad obviously played. He's Gary Trent Jr.'s got the knowledge, and he's having this breakout season, incredible defensively as well. So I imagine he's got some awesome knowledge to pass your way. And another person who I think has great knowledge to pass your way is the 905 head coach, Patrick Rodumbo. Now, I don't know about you, but I covered him for the first time in February, and I remember his first press conference, just the first few words out of his mouth, I'm like, whoa, this guy has a presence to him. Yeah. Like there's this deep voice. There's this purpose that he speaks with. Were you struck by that when you first got into contact with coach Pintembo as well? I mean, I was kind of surprised about like what he had, like his, his plan for the people that he was coaching and that worked for him. I would say, cause I don't see him as like a basketball coach. I see him as like a life coach. He talks about everything. He, he's trying to basically raise you into being a man rather than just a basketball player. And I think that takes you a lot farther than just being a basketball coach. So is there something profound that maybe you've already sort of internalized that he said? Cause no, I, cause that's the stuff that he talks about too. He's told me like, we could talk about our perimeter defensive scheme all day, but it's like, mm-hmm. are we going to prevent any basket in the paint? Like just, do you have the will to get into the paint and keep guys out of your own paint? Just keeping it very sort of simple and like more philosophical. Is there any sort of message that you've already internalized that he's imparted on you? Um, He puts a huge emphasis on professionalism. And I think that's one thing that myself being taught uh, coming into the league uh, at my age, if you can learn how to be a professional every single day, that's what's going to carry you for a long five to 10 year, maybe more career period um, showing up every day, not having those days where you're not being productive as much in practice. Like even when you don't feel like it, or if it's, if you feel like you need to go get treatment or go get shots up, like just be, if you know, some people don't know, like they don't know what it takes, but if you do know what it takes, there's something stopping you and it's only you that's stopping you from doing it. Yeah, that is a, that is a strong message that uh, to definitely uh, try to learn. And I'm sure, you know, Pascal Siakam talked about it when he was with the 905, this th- sort of itch, obviously no one wants to be at the G league level for the duration of their career. There's an itch to obviously want to get out, but you do have to play in a certain manner in order to succeed at the, at the G league level. How are you balancing that, I'm sure, burning desire to show that you're NBA worthy while playing under the correct sort of Coach Batumbo principles? It's really, you got to like, like gravitate to like everything that he's saying, like, because at the end of the day, like he's the head coach. He's the guy that's going to report if a team is asking or calling, seeing how you're doing. What does he like here and there? Even if I'm not, if I'm listening to him and doing the things that he says, he might say something that I probably wasn't doing as good, but it just gives me a good reputation just because I've, he knows that I'm trying and you really won't succeed unless you embrace it. Like if you try to go to the G league and it's like, Oh, it's, it's just the G league. It's not the NBA have bigger goals. Like that won't, you, you won't make it very far, but if you embrace it and 
know why you're in the G League to to get better every day, to learn how to be a professional. And he says, um, he says this often. He says, you're here because you couldn't do it on your own and we're here to help you do it. So I feel like that's a, that's a huge thing to like, remember in the back of your head. Um, and I carry with that, carry that with myself uh, every single day. Yeah. Those are huge lessons, wise words from a, a wise man who's been around the block. So, uh, and I'm sure you'll internalize it and you'll, you will make your NBA dream happen uh, sooner rather than later. So listen, uh, David, we really appreciate the time. You got a double header coming up in Long Island this weekend. The podcast might air actually after it, but either way, we wish you the best of luck with this double dip and for the rest of the season. Thank you. 